The reading for today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thanks, Nick. Morning, Arcadia. How are you? All right. Um, man, I just love that Hustle Phoenix stuff. Appreciate Raj, uh, Josh doing that. Um, and I'm glad they're here, and if you have more questions, be sure to see uh, Kimberly and um, Ricky in the back. Uh, a couple things before we get started, if you don't mind. Um, Cody's not here today, so I can talk about, without him getting embarrassed, what a wonderful job I think he does leading us in the worship arts here. Um, he has... Uh, been with us now for more than three years, and I think almost four now. He's coming up on four years. And um, the, the number of teams that he's assembled uh, to lead us into worship, to help point us to God and to Jesus, uh, has been, uh, in my 20 years as a vocational minister, has been just absolutely unparalleled. And he not only does that here, as well as work with, within the community to also disciple and, and do church formation, and he and, and Lauren lead an RC, uh, as well a redemption community, a small group. But Cody also uh, now teaches worship arts and theology of worship as an adjunct instructor at Grand Canyon University. And one of the doors that's opened for us as well is that um, he's been able to develop relationships with uh, young people who want to get into leading worship and doing church formation like Cody does. And uh, we've been able to expand our platform here in order to provide internships and even uh, a staff, part-time staff um, uh, positions for people from Grand Canyon University to be able to do that. And we've had a number of you even asking about some of the newer faces up here. And so I just wanted to let you know that, yeah, that's what's happening up here. So, uh, for instance, today, uh, Malia Rogers is leading us. She's an intern from Grand Canyon University. This is her second semester with us. Um, many of you know Reagan. Reagan's been with us the longest, Reagan Capace. Um, her father is a church planter in Las Vegas, which is awesome. He's a little upset that we get to use her down here um, rather than in her church, uh, her home church at home. But um, she's been with us. This is her second year now, and she's actually on part-time staff. Uh, newer this semester is the percussionist today, but you've also seen her play keys, play guitar, and sing, 
like nobody's business. That's uh, Mallory Denson. And uh, then we have another intern who's actually working on the production team, uh, being uh, trained and learning from our sound engineer, Daniel Ba, and that's Eddie Mahler. And he's up there. You can't see him right now, but um, you can hear a lot of what he's producing. So uh, we are really appreciative of these students who have connected with us and, and are really helping us here. So I just wanted to be able to introduce them and thank them for their service, but also um, just for Cody being able to just continually organizing a great team. That is a wonderful part of being Redemption Arcadia. Uh, second thing I want to mention is if you got your, uh, well, from last week, if you got your March news and events, I want to mention again the Theology Thursday, which is on March 22nd, um, raising happy and healthy children with uh, Terry and Roxanne Thorstadt from Journey's, Journey's Counseling Center in Tempe. Here's the, the push I want to make today. Um, this would be a great event to invite uh, people that you know who do not go to church or do not go to Redemption Arcadia uh, to come and benefit from something that we're doing here. Uh, certainly there will be some theology mixed in with what they're doing, but they're going to be talking about an issue that many people are struggling with and would like answers to and would like to know more about, and they are experts in the area of parenting. And so I would just encourage you to reach out to your friends, reach out in your neighborhood, and invite people who aren't necessarily a part of Redemption Arcadia to come to this. I think it would be really helpful, and, and they would appreciate uh, the invite, especially if they come. That's my second thing. And the third thing before we get to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 is... Uh, two weeks ago, Cody preached, and I was curious because I did this and I talked to a number of other people. How many of you went out and bought a Ray Bradbury book after Cody preached two weeks ago? Yeah, I, 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 I am uh, almost done with Fahrenheit 451. It's fantastic. I had never read it. I had never, never heard of Ray Bradbury. I had never read Fahrenheit uh, 451. I went to North High School, so we read like Beverly Cleary books. So um, <laughs> appreciate Cody, you know, exposing me to more erudite stuff. So that's really nice. All right. After six weeks in what we what is termed Paul's Baraka, his prolonged proclamation of praise and celebration, um, we move into a prayer. That, that Paul prays in the midst of Ephesians chapter 1, and he writes it down. He lets the recipients know that he's praying for them. And, and this is actually not an odd thing to do in this context, to write down a prayer for the recipients of the letter uh, in, in their context. In fact, in Ephesians, there are two prayers in the first three chapters of this book. There's the prayer from verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1, and then when we get to the end of chapter 3, there's going to be another prayer as well. I'll give you a little history and context. Uh, in ancient first century Greek uh, Mediterranean letters, it was common to insert a section of thanksgiving to the gods, all the gods, uh, for their lordship over the weather, the economy, the harvest, the family, sex, whatever it is that they are in lordship over. 
and to assure the recipients of the letter that the letter writer will continue to intercede on their behalf with the gods and pray that the gods would continue to bless them, mostly, primarily, circumstantially. That, that your, your family's going to be safe, that your, your crops are going to be abundant, that the weather is going to be uh, uh, what you need, everything. And Paul develops in his letter here to the Ephesians, he develops this concept, this prayer trope, but he does it in a distinctively Christian manner. Uh, Paul's intercession, Paul's prayer is not to the gods, but it is to the one true God. And when he intercedes for the people in Ephesus, he is not interceding uh, to, in order to beg for great and wonderful circumstances for the recipients of the letter, which is not necessarily a bad thing to do. Pray, pray that they'd have good crops, pray that their family would be blessed. That's not a bad thing to do, but he doesn't do that here, but rather he prays that the recipients of the letter would know God's wisdom, hope, and power. He wants them to know God's wisdom, hope, and power. This is not common in the Greek Mediterranean letter tropes in the first century. That, that was rarely written down in letters that weren't biblical or, or part of the, uh, of the Bible. And so this prayer is nine verses. We're splitting it into two weeks. We're going to do verses 15 through 19 this week. Next week we'll pick up with 19 again for context and go through uh, 23. And understand, uh, this will not be a comprehensive message about prayer. We're going to talk about what Paul uh, prays, and we're going to talk a little bit about prayer, but it won't be comprehensive. It, it'll just be one angle, perhaps, at, at prayer, but we're also going to look at the content. So let me just reread the first half of this prayer, what we're actually going to be looking at today. Paul writes this, for this reason, so there's a connection to what he just talked about what he just wrote about. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, of God, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the great working of his might. Notice all the power words in there. Power, his might, the working, th those are all power words, and that's a big part of it. Now, this is a prayer it's not teaching, preaching, or proclamation, but the prayer certainly has characteristics in it that do preach, that do teach, and that do proclaim. So while we could pray this prayer ourselves, and probably should at times pray a prayer like this ourselves, we can also learn from it and be blessed by it and receive the gospel from it. So, so Paul starts with these three words, for this reason. This is a clear reference back to the previous 12 verses, that one sentence, that barakah of, of, of Paul's. So he says, for this reason, and you could maybe break it down in three ways. For this reason, because God has so richly blessed us, 
For this reason, because of God's steadfast love and faith, and for this reason, because of your steadfastness, the recipients, your steadfastness in love and faithfulness, I am constantly and resolutely thankful. I'm thankful for you, and I'm also thankful for the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for God. And Paul says, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Uh, Just a little bit about prayer in general. Prayer is, is not just about us and our wants and our needs. And, and, and I think many of us will admit, when I talk to people about prayer, and I struggle with this too, we go to God in prayer and pretty much we just start with our laundry list of stuff we need, stuff we want, things that we would like to see changed. But prayer is not just about us and our wants and our needs. Intercessory prayer, which is what Paul is doing here, prayers for others is a huge part of being in community. If you are somebody who says, I value community, then your prayer life should have a ton of prayers for other people in it, and not just prayers for yourself. If you value community, you should be praying for others. And and, and then there's this idea of constant prayer. I constantly, I am constantly praying for you. I look at prayer this way. Again, really fundamental, very basic, not necessarily comprehensive, but kind of three aspects of prayer. Number one, prayer is a posture. It's a posture of reverence and focus. And so, you know, you hear us, we say, would you bow your heads to pray with us? Would you, sometimes we close our eyes when we pray. Sometimes we'll literally get on our knees or we'll turn around in, in, in our chairs and we'll, and so that we lean on something. Uh, sometimes we, we lay, uh, I, I, I it's prostrate, right? I want to make sure I get that right. <laughs> we lay prostrate. I should just, we lay down, okay? So we lay down when we pray. It, it, we, we take a posture of reverence and, and, and focus. But prayer is also a conversation. And and remember that unless you're a me monster, a conversation is not only talking, but it's also listening and receiving. And so there's listening involved in prayer conversation as well. Here you go. Be still and know that I am God. Pray by being quiet for a while. It's pretty remarkable. But then the third aspect, and so often this is the aspect that I think we miss. Prayer is also an attitude. It's an attitude. It's a general attitude. So let me just think about this. Paul also says in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, his first letter to the church in Thessalonica, which he wrote well before he wrote Ephesians, he, he says that we are to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Well, if we're going to pray without ceasing and we're always going to be in the posture of prayer, that's a little difficult to do when we're driving, right? It's hard to bow your head and close your eyes when you're driving, although I know some of you do that when you're texting and driving, but you shouldn't do that. We're not advocating for that. But this attitude of prayer is an underlying, undeniable sense of the presence 
of God constantly with us. It's the reality that even though we're doing other things and thinking about other things, and these are important things, and we would not deny that we need to do those things, we are still connected with God. He may be sort of running in the background, but he's right there, and we know it, and we realize that his presence is with us, and we have access to his wisdom at all times. That's the attitude of prayer. So in the midst of doing other things, we have this attitude of prayer. That's what Paul is calling us to. Now, in this prayer, this specific prayer here, what is it that Paul is praying for? Probably not things that we normally or actively, regularly pray for, but, but should pray for. For instance, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily, this prayer points us to the character of God, the attributes of God, who God is, his majesty, his power, his sovereignty, the hope he gives, his glory, his wisdom and his knowledge, different things. Wisdom would be the application of knowledge and his love and his faithfulness as well. Paul prays that God would give the Ephesians and us, by the way, the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him. Most often, when you and I pray, we pray that our circumstances would change, that God would somehow change our circumstances. Here's one that we pray a lot. You may not admit this out loud, but you pray this a lot, I pray this a lot. We pray that somebody else would change, right? And we talked last week about how we need to pray that God would reveal us to us so that we might change. That's actually a project that we can work on and get results with. It's rare that we're able to pray and have somebody else change. It's rare that we're able to manipulate circumstances so that someone else will change. Early in my walk with Christ, Jackie told me that... um, when she would get distracted or bothered by somebody else, she learned to start to pray that her attitude would change, not that God would change the other person. And I remember my initial reaction was like, are you crazy? God should change them. <laughs> but, but it opened my eyes. And, and, and she said, it, it really helped her because the first thing it did was it calmed her heart toward the other person. It's pretty amazing. But we, we pray that other people would change. We, we pray that our lives would somehow be made easier, less stressful, and more comfortable and more convenient. So the question is, shouldn't we broaden our scope and consider what the approach that Paul takes here? Paul is saying, and by the way, Jesus said this too, and so did James in his letter in the New Testament. Paul is saying that we're going to have circumstances in our life that are unpleasant and hard. That we're going to have challenges, we're going to have temptations, we're going we're to have sufferings, we're going to have discomforts, and it's just a fact. That's the fact of life. And... and, and We would like those circumstances to be changed, but instead, let's pray, God, how about if you would grant us the wisdom and the revelation 
to be able to walk through life's tribulations rather than us asking for you to give us the old end around. I, I, I want to go around that storm, not through the storm. He's saying, let's pray for the power, the wisdom, the revelation, the knowledge, the ability to walk through the storm. And James, in his letter, he says, this is what tests our faith James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, this is what tests our faith, tests the gospel, puts the gospel to the test in our lives, and the result is that it produces good things for us. It produces perseverance, steadfastness, endurance, and patience. Those are good things. Uh, Matt Smethurst says this, sometimes Christ calms the storm, and sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. So how about praying that God would open our eyes in the midst of our troubles in order that we might learn from our troubles, to be guided through our troubles, to be disciplined in our troubles, and to become stronger and come out better on the other side of our troubles. Almost every writer in the New Testament talks about this process, that it's good for us and that it's inevitable. And Paul says, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom. He's talking about the Holy Spirit there. Here you go. He's talking about God, the, quote, third member of the Trinity, but of, of equal status and essence and substance, God to the Father and the Son. He says, we want the spirit of of wisdom. We want the wisdom, our wisdom, to come from God. Because really, wisdom is not generally something that originates with fallen human beings. We think it is. True wisdom, Paul will tell us this in Ephesians 5 when we get there in like 2023. Paul will tell us, <laughs> Paul will tell us that true wisdom comes from surrendering our lives to Jesus, therefore being filled with the Holy Spirit living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and submitting our thoughts, agendas, and strategies to the will of God by the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Wisdom is not something that we lord over other people, but rather it's something that out of humility and gentleness we submit our lives to. And we have access to it in and by the Holy Spirit. It's also important to understand here, Paul's prayer, this is really critical, Paul's prayer is not for the Holy Spirit to do something new and additional to our salvation in our lives, but rather that we would simply access the Holy Spirit who is already there in our lives. You see that? It's not a new work the Spirit is doing. He's asking that the eyes of our hearts would be open so we see that we have access to this already. It's there. And notice, God will enlighten our heart Enlighten our heart. Paul's using heart language here. He uses mind language in other places, but he's using heart language here so that we will know. Enlighten our heart so that we will know. And once again, there's this beautiful connection in Paul's writings between, between faith and the heart and the mind, between faith and affect and cognition, between faith and emotion and reason. One of the cha challenges, I'll just say challenges. You can email me later. 
one of the challenges that some of us in this room have with our charismatic brothers and sisters is their seeming emphasis on emotion over thought. Their seeming emphasis on on feelings over facts. But you know what? We have a problem too. Let's not be blind here. We have a problem. Here you go. We. Who's we? We, those of us that would be in the Reformed theology camp. We Reformed brothers and sisters, which is Redemption Church, all ten congregations. We are considered a Reformed theology church. And the rest of our tribe, all other churches like ours. Believe me, we are aware of this, and we want to challenge it. We want to challenge it. We are too often married to evidence and reason at the expense and the exclusion of the totality of the human condition and the human experience through emotion. I'm not saying we jettison reason and evidence. I am saying that we try to exclude all else sometimes from that mix, and that's wrong, and we shouldn't do that. The charismatics sometimes correctly say to us, hey, have a heart. And we sometimes correctly say to them, hey, have a brain. But the thing is, we all have Jesus. And that is a great place to be, and that is a great place to start. And the truth is, is that Jesus is about all of it. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thinking, feeling, moving, and being. And the hope, verse 18, is in our inheritance and his mighty power. Again, you want to know more about the inheritance? Listen to Cody's last two sermons. We'll talk a little bit more about the power. But the inheritance, remember, is not just the stuff we get. And it's not just the connection we have with the body. But it's the fact that we are now part of a kingdom that is eternal. And with that kingdom comes the king. And you can't have one without the other. Jesus. And, and, and the hope is accomplished and guaranteed, here you go, by his great and mighty power. God created and holds all things together. Great and mighty power. Um, I want you to listen to, we're going to have Job 7, uh, 26, Job's, uh, verses 7 through 14 up there. But give you a little context. I want to give you verses 2 and 3 as well in Job 26. Job says this, um, he's, he's talking to God about God, and he says, how you have helped the powerless, he's praising him, how you have saved the arm that is feeble, what advice you have offered to one without wisdom, and what great insight you have displayed. He's talking about the power of God, and then he goes on to say this, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps the rain in his thick clouds, and the clouds don't burst with the weight. God covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with his clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. His spirit made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of all that he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then 
can comprehend the thunder of his power. His power. And it's not just the, the power of creation and control. It's also the divine power over the supernatural forces of darkness and evil and the occult of magic. The occult of magic, which was especially prevalent in first century Ephesus, and it is also prevalent in 21st century Phoenix. And I know some of you are like, well, what? Oh, no? I want you to think about this in context. The title of this message, Luke Simmons gave it the title, is A Prayer for Open Eyes. Couldn't have been a better title. We need to open our eyes to this stuff. We consider, here you go, we consider ourselves sophisticated, scientific, enlightened. Of course we don't have magic today, Frank. At least not any that we'd believe in. Um, one of the values of the redemption communities, the RCs, the small groups, the home groups, whatever you want to call them. One of the values is that you get to be in community with other people who have some thoughts and perspectives about the reality of the gospel that maybe you hadn't thought of yet, that, that God hadn't revealed to you yet, and he's using those other people to reveal them to you. A couple weeks ago, Jackie and I were at, um, we're part of the DeSerafino RC, and we were there, and Sean and Allison led us through this discussion of magic in the 21st century, and it was so good that I stole it, and I'm presenting it here this morning. I'm calling it sermon research, okay? That's what it is. So, so I want you to think, what is it that magic is supposed to do? Generally, three things. Magic creates an illusion, so it changes our perception. Magic also manipulates. It, it attempts to change reality. And then magic is a shortcut. It's supposed to be a shortcut. You know, we humans have this innate desire for success, wealth, and victory, but we want it with no effort and no sacrifice, right? Some of you honest people are shaking your heads like this, okay? That's just the way it is. So here's some of our magic today. Think about it. How about the magic of technology? Uh, listen, I grew up with a rotary phone, and, and until I was seven years old, we had a party line in our neighborhood. If you don't know what a party line is, it's not the name of a television show or a movie. Look it up on Google or ask somebody who's as old as I am or older, and they'll tell you what a party line is. I grew up pre-microwave, and to me, technology is pretty magical. Amen? Isn't it something? It is absolutely awesome. And we count on it so much. And, and we frankly, we, we, we count on technology so much, and we, we expect it to work like magic. We do. We, we want it to do things we cannot do, and it does. We want it to do things that can't be done. Sometimes not so successful there, but here you go. Definitely it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. I teach at the college level as well. Cut and paste is a big deal in college papers. We rely on technology way more than we rely on Jesus. Amen? How about the magic of medicine? Especially in the areas of faking our bodies, enhancements. Also in, in saving us when nothing else can save us. It, by the way, is this, is this a, a, 
uh, a polemic against medicine and doctors? <laughs> no. If that's what you take out of here, you're really not listening well. But we do, we do think about medicine in terms of how magical it is. Um, we want it to save us when really nothing else can. Many of us treat medical care the way we treat prayer. We expect medicine to work like magic, to be a silver bullet, to fix whatever the product is, and to fix it in no time. Pills and shots and oils and remedies. And I say that, and by the way, I will tell you, I'm an essential oils guy. Yes, your pastor buys peppermint oil and tea tree oil. I confess to you that I do. Okay? But what we want is the shortcut. Do you know how much, do you have any idea how many of our medical conditions can be prevented with good nutrition and exercise? I'm not going to do that. I, I've been a runner for 45 years. Big, it, runners have, being, being, running is a big deal in my life. I haven't run for three months now. Last fall, I started developing a pretty difficult pain in my left foot, not my right foot, where I had the bunion surgery. At bunion surgery almost three years ago. It was so successful. It was painful, but it was so successful. I'm, I've been asking him to do bunion surgery on the rest of my body that isn't working correctly. Okay? So I went back to my bunionectomy doctor. I said, what's wrong with my foot? X-rays. I think I have a stress fracture. X-rays, MRI, no stress fracture. He says, but here's the problem. You have osteoarthritis in your second, third, and fourth metatarsal. And I immediately said to him, I said, Let's get out the injections. Let's do the shots. I, I, you see where my mind went? I want to run tomorrow, man. Come on, shoot me up. All right? And he said, mm, no, I'm not really into those things. He says, that it might make you feel better for a little while, but it's just going to mask the pain, and it's going to make it worse. He said, if you're ever going to be able to run, I was walking with a pretty severe limp. Some of you mentioned it months ago. If you're ever going to run again and certainly walk well again, you're going to have to do physical therapy. No! <laughs> no, not physical therapy. Here's your prescription. Was that an overreaction? I did it in the doctor's office. He was used to it. Writes the prescription. Here you go. Okay. That was five weeks ago. I'm walking normally. It's been a pain in the neck. Those home exercises, Jackie's upset about all the rubber bands everywhere in the house. It takes time. It's boring. It's made a difference. <laughs> but we want, we want the magic. We want the magic. How about the magic of creating wealth and status out of nothing? We live in a culture, this never happened before. We live in a culture where people are famous because, why? They're famous. They haven't done anything. They're somebody's relative. That's it. They're famous. They, they, they don't contribute. Here you go. You, using a, a, an Aaron Klusman term, they don't add value to anything. They take value, but they're famous. Isn't that amazing? Stop and think about this. It's fascinating. And then Facebook, Twitter, Google, and many other internet platforms, again, not throwing them under the bus, but there's really nothing physical about the product, and yet billions and trillions of dollars have been made on it. That's like magic. It's magical. Here you go. One of the challenges here is that, is that most of us would rather post than pray. That's a problem. Tim Keller says it this way. 
We are quick to tweet, to Facebook, and to Instagram, but we treat prayer with a level of procrastination. That's true. Here you go. Two more, and I'm done. The magic of entertainment. Movies, interactive video games, virtual reality. And I like a lot of this stuff. I admit it. I'm a pop culture guy. Much of it suspends reality and transports us to a place that doesn't exist, and it's fun. I get it. Then there's my least favorite one, admittedly, the magic of politics. We expect it to be magical, and I have five questions. When will humanity ever advance to the place where we realize that no politician can be our savior? When will humanity ever advance to the place where we realize that the political process, if it ever does work, takes an excruciatingly long time? When will humanity ever advance to the place where we quit buying into the illusions that politicians create? When will humanity ever advance to the place where we quit believing that the right politicians or the right political platform is our shortcut to joy? And when will humanity ever advance to the place where we have more faith in Jesus than we have in the government? So what about Jesus? We said this last week. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not the illusion, the manipulation, and the shortcut. Notice he didn't say that in John 14, 6. Jesus is reality, and he tells us that we will also live in reality. I will tell you, this is one of the things I absolutely love about the Christian faith. It tells us the truth about life. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't tell us any such nonsense as put your, put your problems on a cloud and watch it drift away. None of this garbage that you hear out there. In the culture. It tells us the truth. That's what one of the things I love about it. Nothing sugar-coated. Jesus never prescribes shortcuts, but he calls for endurance and patience. And before you email me and say, what about the miracles? If you think that the miracle was, was only and specifically for a shortcut in somebody's life, you are missing the point of Jesus' miracles. The point of Jesus' miracles was to point people to God. That's why he did it. He didn't do it so that everybody could be healed instantaneously. It's one of the things that I really struggled with, with the whole what would Jesus do movement. Okay, if I encounter a blind person, here's what Jesus would do. He would hock a loogie into the sand, rub it in his, in his hands, and put it on the person's eyes. I can't do that. The question is, what would Jesus have me do? And that's going to involve patience and perseverance. He reveals life and truth to us in all of its glory and all of its sorrow. And he gives us the power and the wisdom to live in it, not around it. And his end game is sure. It's our inheritance. It's God's power in and over all things that gives us this ultimate victory over all other forces. And, and, you know, we ended with verse 19, but the sentence goes on. I want you to look at this. A little preview for next week. It says, this is done according to his, God the Father, his great might, that he works in Christ. That's the beginning of verse 20, that he works in Christ. Understand, all roads begin with and then lead back to Jesus. He is beauty, he is truth, he is power, he is grace. And he is the one who loves us 
when nobody else will and nobody else can. That's good news. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and its truth, and we thank you for Paul's prayer here, and certainly what we can learn about prayer, but also what we can learn about you, your power and your majesty. So God, uh, point us to you. Just, just keep entreating us and pointing us to you. Give us the courage to be able to live our lives as, as gospel-centered people who are outward-focused. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.